Yo, I'm Shay Serrano. And I'm Jinx. We're hosting a new podcast called No Skips. In it, we discuss the most iconic and unskippable albums in hip-hop history. New episodes drop on Thursdays, only on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash in every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card member. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as The Ringer Podcast Network. We're on The Rewatchables, which we're dropping some point on Monday, probably Monday night. One of the five biggest movies we've ever done. I'm going to tell you what it is now. Goodfellas. Yeah, we did Goodfellas. We did it in person. We'd been waiting for the end of the pandemic to be vaccinated, to go back in the studio and look at each other. Me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy. We did it. Goodfellas. It is available, I think, on HBO Max if you want to watch it um, tomorrow. There's no basketball. What else are you going to do? Coming up, part two of our last day of the NBA season extravaganza. Me, Ryan Rossillo. Here it is. First Pearl Jam. All right, part two of our last night of the NBA extravaganza. This was better than I expected. We saw Tankapalooza 2021 was in rare form. I'm going to call it the Atoro game. Atoro? Atoro? <laughs> yeah. What's that's his good. name? Atoro? Yeah. He, uh, he took 21 shots tonight for the Clippers. They were ISOing him. I can honestly say I barely knew who this person was, but uh, he turned out to be the guy the Clippers needed. They locked down the Mavericks. For uh, for round one. Meanwhile, the Mavericks were trying to lose because they were hoping to get Denver. Denver was trying to lose against Portland, which they did. And then the Lakers were trying to win. And there was some scenario where if the Lakers had also lost, Clips, Mavs might not have happened. And I my head was spinning. There are too many possibilities. But ultimately, here's what we have. We have Utah against the eight seed, Phoenix against the seven seed. Uh, we have the Clippers playing Dallas and Denver. Portland. How will you remember tonight? The Poku game or the Otoro game? <laughs> I thought there was a point where Poku was so red hot to start the game that I thought he was reading mock drafts this morning and was like, fuck that. Fuck these guys. <laughs> yeah. This is my They're team. not taking another four. Right. No. Yeah, I want to I want to draft a Euro and stash him for two years. Jalen uh, Suggs, no thanks. So 
Then they took him out of the game. I mean, it's this is the thing that we all know. Organizations tank. Coaches can impact tanking with Linus. So players don't tank. I mean, they don't. So I know I was looking forward to this Clippers-Oklahoma City thing all day going, I wonder how weird this is going to get because I think we do need to kind of set a timeline at some point, I think, to try to sift through all this as best we can. But as far as that game was concerned, like, and then I started looking like Ibaka was back and Beverly was out there. I mean, Beverly doesn't know what tanking is. And so then the fourth quarter was... Patrick Patterson, Terrence Mann, Yogi Ferrell, Jay Scrub, and Otoro, who had 31 field goal attempts for his career and took 21 in this game. He was 5 of 21, and the 21st shot was the biggest single possession they had. It looked like they tried to run something for Kennard. They even brought Kennard back, and I thought that, that might be actually a bad idea here because the Clippers, clearly, we figured this out, and I think it plays into how a bunch of other things happened today. Um, once we saw the Clippers lose to the Rockets, then it kind of set everybody's signal. And we're like, okay, now we kind of have to program around expecting the Clippers wanting to lose this Thunder game as well, on top of the Thunder wanting to lose this to protect their their standing um, as, as far as the worst teams in the league. So there you well, go. Well, Vegas had no idea what to do with this game. House and I bet the Thunder money line, which was oh, plus. Oh, man. You're, plus, you'll never, you're never going to forget this one. Plus 335. So we were really riding it out. It was quite a day. We had Wizards and uh, Warriors as well, but it was quite a day. And OKC obviously wanted to lose too. There's some lottery stuff that we'll get into in a second that was pretty crazy. But, um, you know, we talked about this in part one and I tweeted about how you bruiser brodered me. I did, you know, a whole thing about how I, I the Clips talked a big game two summers ago. They're going to take basketball away from the Lakers in LA. And now we get to the 2021 playoffs and they're ducking the Lakers. I've been thinking about it ever since you know sold me. And if I'm LeBron James, do you remember that clip of LeBron after game six of the 2016 finals when they were all, they're putting the puzzle into the thing. It's a really great clip. He's with his whole team in the locker room after they win game six. And he's like, he's like, those guys are scared. I can see it or whatever he said. He's basically like, he sensed, he sensed something wrong with the Warriors. He's like, we got these guys. We're going to get these guys. I know it. I know it. I can see it. If you think about how LeBron's wired, how long he's been around, him watching the Clippers try to scramble out of getting out of their side of the bracket. If I'm LeBron, I'm like, we got these guys. They don't want to play us. Like, this is great. This is, they're running from us, basically. Am I crazy to think that he would think that? No, you're not crazy at all. He's definitely going to think that. All of those guys are going to think that. Now, does it mean something? Like if the Clippers have a end up losing to them somewhere in the playoffs, then that's what everybody's going to point to. Be like, you guys planted the seeds of doubt among your own, amongst your own organization and gave the Lakers all the confidence in the world. I mean, I don't know. I think those things, look, I'd be dismissive to say none of that stuff um, happens. Of course it happens. I mean, this is sports, human beings, all these, all these types of things. But I just know how it'll play out where it could be that Paul George doesn't hit a shot in game six or seven. And that's why they lose, you know, so would that right. be any different than stuff that we've seen from Paul George in the past? So I think looking at at how much and I know the Clippers like to point to the bubble and say, hey, it was different. Um, you know, everybody had to deal with different challenges and they clearly did not uh, respond well to the challenges they had to deal with. But. I think all of the stuff that you're talking about is all extra stuff where. Like, I'm not telling you you're wrong. Like, I agree with you. You're right. LeBron's going to believe all that stuff. It's going to play into it. If they end up meeting up, if they're eliminated, everything I just said. But I also don't really blame the Clippers. If they were like, hey, a, a loss here keeps us on the other side of the Western bracket. It's like if you were at ESPN seven years ago saying, like, I'm going to take Coward's job someday. 
And then eventually they were like, hey, we have an idea. You and Coward together maybe next week for a full week of radio. And you're like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm getting a root canal next, and I, I just can't be there. Sorry. But down the road, I'd love to kick his ass, but just not, you know, anytime soon, maybe next year. You had a better analogy. Why don't you, because you were, just yeah, so people well, understand, Bill really appreciates when a co-host sells. <laughs> I think this is what got you in trouble with the book. When the ESPN book came out, didn't you say Tarico didn't sell Kornheiser enough and then it turned into like a thing? Well, and he didn't. Like, right. I, I like Tarico and I've hashed it out with him, but I didn't, I didn't feel like he sold Kornheiser enough. Right. You're Kornheiser's big on, my guy. I know. And Tarico's my guy. I don't know Tony at all, but taller than you would think. I mm. sneaky know, tall. I know how big you are on, on a co-host not selling you. The thing is when I sell you, then people think I'm kissing your ass. No, no. And then when I, I'm not I selling the mirror. you. I gave yeah. you the wrong analogy. I texted it to you and it made more sense. I said it was the guy at the Beacon Hill pub at 1.30 in the morning saying, I hope Murph doesn't show up here. I'm going to fucking kick his ass. And then Murph shows up and the guy sneaks out the back and he's just out in a cab. It's like, wait a second. I thought you wanted to kick Murph's ass. That's how okay. I feel about the Clippers. Why, why are you so afraid of the Lakers? By the way, the Lakers playing, play uh, who are they playing tonight? I'm blanking. There's... They're playing New Orleans, who's trying to tank. They won. And the Lakers kept their dudes out there for the whole game, basically. And LeBron lands on somebody, and I it know. looked like he sprained his ankle again. <laughs> but the Lakers were so desperate just to get reps with their best seven yeah. guys that they had all these dudes out there in the fourth quarter of a game. New Orleans is trying to tank anyway, which brings me to that point. Like, well, it's still actually is a close score. I mean, that was the other yeah. part of it, where the Lakers are feeling like, okay, I mean, we'll get to some of the other stuff. Anthony Davis even had a moment, although I think he averages like two ankle knee grabs a game anyway yeah he does so he's you, you can't he, he's he's approaching bob mcadoo's career record i don't know where he is in the all-time rankings he's like 12th right now per 36 rising is, up is, is, <laughs> let me explain it to you then in a way you would understand if yeah. daniel larusso is looking at the bracket great and sun and, and he knows that he has to go through johnny but he's thinking if i can just if i can see you a little later if i can see i know i gotta beat you eventually no, but because he knows he has to go through Dutch. He knows there's other guys. Like he, he every wants round to fight. Gonna be tough. Dutch, Dutch was all talk. Dutch choked. Like Joker. we covered this in the rewatchables. Dutch just flat out choked. He had he had uh, Daniel's been batting around, and Dutch just choked. But uh, with the Clippers, I don't know. He, you know now now they get Dallas, who they obviously wanted. And the Clippers can spin this like, look, we just want to play Dallas round one. We don't can we don't care when we meet the Lakers, but we own Dallas. Dallas obviously feels the same because Dallas was frantically trying to tank their way out of, out of their game. They couldn't succeed, so now they get the Clippers, which I think is a terrible matchup for them. And I'm no longer that excited about that series. If Luca beats the Clippers with the team he has with George and Kawhi basically tag teaming him, like just alternating possessions. That would be an incredible series for him. I don't see it. So if we go over this and by the way, like Dallas, this is basically, I think what happened here because once the Clippers lost to Houston, we're like, okay, it's on. So you can sit there and think you'll know, but you can only really prepare. And I think that's kind of what the second half of the day was today for the seating in the Western conference is that, the Clippers want to lose to get on the other side of the Lakers. All right, fine. Mission accomplished. And when Denver realizes that because of the Houston game, then Denver's like, well, look, the 3-4 matchup, whatever it is, but if we win, 
and somehow that means Portland loses and then the Lakers have a better record than Portland, then we're winning to get the Lakers in the first round instead yeah. of Portland. So we don't want that. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with the Clippers side of this, but we can tell that they're probably going to lose and they have the tiebreaker with them. And then Dallas is looking at it saying, we want to get away from the Clippers, but the only way to do that is probably to lose. <laughs> so well, and then this whole thing was was weird because, I mean, Dallas is going, we can we can read what other people are doing, but we're in a tougher spot than everybody else in dictating this, so we can only do what we can do on our side of it. And they had a weird thing where the Lakers game was also part of this too, because if the Lakers, Dallas, and Portland all ended up in a three-way tie, then Dallas won by some division tiebreaker, so they moved to the five seed. So they they weirdly needed the Lakers to lose so they could drop to six. Right. And that, so... Me, the point is, there was a ton of stuff going on. It was really hard to prepare for this podcast because there was too many, by the way, uh, too many Dallas, scenarios. And because of the division tiebreaker, if Dallas wins, they're still in the five seed anyway. So they, they probably knew everything. And the other part of it, you could say, like, well, why did they play Doncic so much? I mean, you know, it's their, their task was far harder here. But when you look at it from the Denver side, and that's why that spread was minus 11. It was Portland favored by 11. Portland hits a million threes. I think they had nine threes like 14 minutes into the game. And they're going, well, at the very least, we can try to prevent the 3-6 matchup because we know the Clippers are going to lose or try to lose because of what they just did on the Houston game. So I think that's it's just important to kind of tie it all together because even I was going and looking through it and double-checking everything, trying to make sure, like, okay, let's understand all the motivations here. There was a moment where it looked like we could potentially have Denver versus Dallas and Clippers-Portland, which I think are just two better series than what we ended up with because I don't think Dallas can beat the Clips. Um, Denver Portland is fun. It's a little bit of a rematch from two years ago, even though there's no Jamal Murray this time around, but that was a really good seven gamer. And, uh, I know I'll enjoy that series, but you know, I hate that the clips get rewarded for basically rolling over for the last two and they get a team. That's a better matchup for them. They get to avoid the Lakers. I just think the stuff has a tendency of not working out for the team that does a lot of finagling to try to, you know, get just instead of just being like, fuck it, we'll play whoever. I can't remember a lot of scenarios where this has worked out for that team. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I just can't remember like us looking back after playoffs and going, you know, it was genius when they rolled over for those last three games and that man, did that work out great for them? So Utah's going to play winner of golden state Lakers. And then, the loser of that game will play the winner of Memphis versus the Spurs. And Memphis could go either way. I've been thinking about that game. They, if Brooks doesn't foul out, and granted, he, he commits a ton of fouls, and, but they, the, the fact that Ja didn't play that well and they hung around and they were kind of trading punches with Golden State during the game when Steph ended up with 46 or whatever, um, I, don't, I don't think that's an easy let's say Memphis gets by the Spurs. I don't know if that's like an easy game, you know, and, and for the second playing game for whoever doesn't make it there, Golden State Lakers. I, I think everybody is just thinking like Golden State's going to be seven or eight and Lakers will be seven or eight and that those are eight playoff teams. And I, my point is, I think Memphis is a tougher out than that. And then the San Antonio, I just have no feel for anymore because it seemed like they've been pretty much below 500 now for two months. And, you know, 
I don't, I don't really expect them to do anything. At the same time, you and I have both watched them play these games where in the last two minutes, when it's like DeRozan time and DeRozan takes a lot of shit, but it seems like he can get any shot he wants in the last two minutes and the Popovich thing. And I don't know. I, I just, I like the seven, eight, nine, ten. It's way stronger than it is in the East, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they're a 33 and 39 team, but it's the West. So they'd probably be over 500 if they were in yeah. the East. San Antonio's one of the oddest combinations of teams where there's a bunch of guys I like, but I don't like the team. And yep. I don't know that I'm entirely fair with that, but in a one game situation against Memphis, I mean, cause Memphis is trying to on the fly, like get all their pieces back here with the Jaron Jackson piece of it. Um, and Dylan Brooks for all the crap that he takes, you, at least, you know, he's out there fighting like crazy. Yeah. And that was a big loss. And he went down to the game. So, no, I don't. I would pick Memphis. I would think Memphis because they've been the better team all season long. But I don't know that I'd be surprised about any of the one game scenario. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte, maybe Charlotte beating Indiana would be surprising. I still don't think Boston beating Washington would be this all time shocking headline. And then Golden State Lakers one game that actually would surprise me unless Steph just went nuclear and was pulling up after half court for like fifty five. There's been some line movement. Indy's favored by three. The Celtics are favored by two and a half against Washington, which I'm just confused by and then memphis is favored by uh by three there is no golden state lakers line yet because i think they're trying to see who's 100 percent healthy in that and i stand by what i said in part one i think i think golden state in one game could get especially from what i saw from the lakers tonight where it's so clear that they're trying to figure out what their team is just try to get these guys reps with each other i was thinking i mentioned this on a pod before i wanted to mention it again Watching Golden State Memphis today. I forgot to mention this in part one. I still feel like a Jaron Jackson Wiseman trade, some sort of trade with those two as the principals makes a lot of sense for both sides. Because if you're Memphis, not you don't have to worry about paying Jackson. I think he's been in the league three years now. So you don't have to worry about his big superstar contract coming up. Um, you buy some time with Wiseman and he's a Memphis guy. And then, you know, with Jackson, he hasn't been exactly the most durable dude either. So you kind of move out of a situation where you'd have to pay somebody $100 million for four years or whatever it ends up being. And if you're going state, you're getting somebody who can help you next year with Clay. And we're going to talk about the draft pick situation with them after the break. But just in general, what do you think of a Jaron Jackson Wiseman thing? Am I crazy or does that make sense? No, I don't think it's crazy uh, at all because you're right. It restarts the clock. Jackson's been in for three years. You know, he played in 10 games this year. Um, I think when he's looked great, it's really exciting. I mean, Memphis might still be like, look, I mean, that's a weird one. It depends on what their evaluation of Wiseman is. But I could see them saying, hey, we already know when this guy's healthy, he he plays at like a really promising level. I'm not saying he's fixed or perfect or any of these things, but like we already know. I feel like Wiseman was in just such a difficult spot compared to all those other guys. So the evaluation on him is just different than some of these other guys. Like imagine if Wiseman were on Charlotte running around for 30 minutes with with just, hey, go out there and be physical and do your thing. I think the Golden State part of it was more, it, it was harder because it was like, actually, we're still trying to like win these games and do rotations and do the right things where I think Wiseman on a lesser team would have been more impressive as a rookie. This Curry, the extraordinary season he had this year, and we've heard this all year about, you know, that the timetables don't match by the time Wiseman becomes Wiseman. Curry's prime is going to be over. I look at it a little differently. Curry was so extraordinary this year. 
that you almost have to think with this pick that it looks like they're going to get from Minnesota. It's like basically a 75% chance, um, 72.4% chance that Minnesota sends that pick to Golden State after the way the standing shook out tonight. So you think with that pick, and we both think they can get somebody right away next year who can help. There's a swing guy in this draft that they could potentially get who could help them next year. And then the Wiseman piece you'd have to figure out. And the question would be, could you package Wiseman in that pick for a major guy? Could you flip Wiseman for something? Use that pick. You have Clay coming back. And next year, could you contend? I think the the way Curry played this year, the answer to me is yes. Because the, I, I think in other years, we'd be talking about him as an MVP. I just think the Jokic and Bede seasons and the fact that we had a shorter season and the fact that those teams were just way more successful um, took Curry out of it. But Curry to me is the clear three, as we said in part one. But even if the season were longer, I, I just don't know how a seven, eight seed, you know, depending on where they would have ended up, I don't know that guy, even with Curry having this kind of season. Like, I'd love to come up with an argument for him getting the MVP with other factors, but you know, shorter season, longer season, it's it's Jokic or uh, Jokic or it's Embiid. You know, if, if we played eighty-two of these and you're still the seven or eight seed, I'd have a hard time voting for that guy. Well, my question is, if they had ten more games, could they have gotten a little bit higher? Is that a possibility? I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe the six. Maybe they get yeah, the maybe. six seed. Um. Let's take a break because I want to talk about uh, the lottery stuff because there's some really big shit that happened with the standings. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, Tankapalooza 2021. Here's our order. We have... Houston in the one spot, Detroit two, Orlando three, OKC, thanks to their dramatic win tonight, they're fourth, Cleveland fifth, and Minnesota, because of their win tonight, they're sixth. There were some ties heading into tonight that now fell apart. And then Toronto is seventh, and I want to talk about them in a second, but Minnesota was five and five in their last 10. They dropped to the sixth spot, and now it is basically a three and four chance that they're going to send their lottery pick to Golden State because of how they finished the season. If if there were Minnesota fans out there, and there are not that many, they had to be going nuts. You have OKC like sending Al Horford away. I don't know which, what SGA's injury was that had him miss half the hip. season. It was a hip? Okay, I'll take their word for it. Uh, and then Poco just basically <laughs> clearing out for Poco for the last two months of the season so he could throw no-look passes that hit cameramen. And then you have Minnesota just being like, all right, we have a new coach. Let's go for Anthony Edwards' Rook of the Year. Towns is feeling it. Let's just try to win these. They're going to lose like a major asset because of how they finished it. So I don't know. They, to me, that's just a, a shoddy organization. They've been bad for a long time. The Russell trade is historically bad for this decade. And it goes with the territory for them. 
it's awful that they're most likely going to end up losing this pick. But you could see going back a month that they were actually playing harder. So if you want to look at it from the other side, you go, okay, we're this terrible organization that hasn't won forever. We want to figure out a way to have Towns be be a guy that's not going to ask out of here in a year, right? So they trade yeah. for Russell, which you're right, is a disaster, which is just another lesson in how crazy the market can be for a player and how quickly that market can change in 12 months. Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook is like the gold standard of think of what that trade was 12 months and then 12 months later, what the value of each player was. It was almost like, oh, cool, we got we got rid of Chris Paul. <laughs> and then you're like, actually. So anyway, moving back to that, you get a new coach who's coming in with all sorts of scrutiny because they didn't bump up an interim head coach and they did something that not many organizations do. Although I'm telling you right now, I don't know Finch at all. The amount of text from around the league that I got or calls being like, hey, if you don't know anything about him, understand he's one of the most impressive offensive minds I've ever been around so people raved about him and they went out and and got their guy so you're trying to like the whole culture thing you're not going to sell me on it but I can at least understand them going hey we got all the pieces back Russell came back from injury Edwards has had this run we've got a couple other nice little younger pieces that we'd like around the core of those yeah and I'm like Okogie I really like um Mm. Even Vanderbilt comes in and, and gives them some good minutes. I'm serious. Like, there's a couple guys I like with that team. So you could see that they were competing. Nas Reed. They were fighting. Nas Reed. Yeah, let's go. So I feel like the organization was probably like, we know what we should do, but do we just want to try to just feel like there's something about us that can carry down? I think a lot of that stuff can be fake. Like when the team's like, let's get that AC seed and playoff and we're going to learn from it. And our team's going to be more mature. And you're like, all right, cool. You got swept in the first round. So now next year you're going to come back. And I think a lot of that stuff can be overrated. But in this case, I at least understand Minnesota's thinking to close the season, even though it's a disaster. Is that fair? Totally fair. I, I guess their motto would be the Phoenix Suns in the bubble last year like getting some momentum from a nice way to end the season that ultimately didn't mean anything. In this case, though, all they had to do was win two less games and they're in a two-way tie for the three-pick. And their entire destiny has changed. So the five and five in the last 10, it's a murder. And the thing with this draft, it really is, it's a murder. Because this draft... This draft is so good, man. Depending on who you talk to, it's either a guaranteed top six or a guaranteed top seven. But if the Warriors get, let's say they get the sixth pick out of this, that's Mitchell's brother, potentially, who would play right away for them and be really good. So I don't know. It's an amazing stroke of luck for them. Two other things happen. Maybe that's um, what happened. Maybe Russell like pulled up some YouTube clips of Davion Mitchell and showed them to Anthony Edwards or Jalen Suggs or Cade Cunningham. Was like, they were hey, like, yeah, we don't hey, need those guys. Yeah, like, yeah let's, we, let's play real hard because we don't want to give the ball up. You know, you joke, but I wouldn't actually put that past. Like, if you're D'Angelo Russell, why do you want Cade Cunningham on your team? I think D'Angelo Russell's capable of anything. So I uh, he's capable of anything out. except for making a good decision in the last minute of the game. Um, Houston <laughs> has a 47.9 percent chance of handing their pick to OKC. So they they traded Harden. They got nothing for him but a bunch of future picks from Brooklyn. And this year's pick swap, but it doesn't look like that's going to be. And a pick swap that's not helping them. Um, and on top of it, OKC might. Yeah. Um, Chicago has a 73.7. By the way, this is all from Chad Ford, our friend who, uh, who tweeted nice. these earlier. Uh, Chicago has a 73.7% chance of giving their pick to Orlando. Now, if you're Orlando and 
You've had you've weirdly had good luck with the lottery and bad luck with every other aspect of basketball. You think um, they've had good luck with the lottery? Well, they won back to they won Shaq and Weber. Back oh, to oh, back you years. meant in olden yeah. days? Because yeah. I would argue in like the last recent decade, years. Yeah, whatever recent years whatever was their pick was when the draft dropped off. Yeah, like three years in a row. You're right. Like, hey, oh, okay, we missed it by one. Right. Um. So anyway, Chicago did just enough work that they have like a puncher's chance of maybe keeping their pick if it's top four. We'll see. Um, are, are we staying on tanking? Because I want to, whenever you're done, just keep going. But I have something I want to add on the end. Go, please add it now. Okay. Because watching these last two days, I guess I felt like I was taking crazy pills. And this is this is on top of what we already talked about on the Eastern part of this this podcast, is that in the moment, the play-in thing is like, oh my God, look at all this crazy stuff that's happening. Playing game, playing game, playing game. Okay. I am not anti the entertainment that we were all going to enjoy with the playing game set up this week. It's going to be, it could, could be a chance for like awesome. So if there's a great game, it doesn't mean like, hey, anybody who didn't like the playing game, you're wrong. The other part of this is that the playing game fixes tanking. And I shouldn't even say fixes tanking because I don't think anybody smart is arguing that it fixes tanking, but it impacts tanking in a way that's more positive for the league. Because I think you and I would both agree there have been years in the past where it felt like a third of the league already wanted to lose all of their games before the games even started. And that's terrible. Now you can still have that because tanking is really a year by year thing. So when I say like, hey, you realize like a lot of these games today, it has nothing to do with if the, there were no playing game, Golden State Memphis is elimination. You know, Washington Charlotte still an important game. All these seeding things it doesn't really have anything to do with the playing game other than that maybe you're trying to avoid the Lakers who are going to be in the playoffs anyway. But if we're looking specific to this year on tanking and saying that the playing game helped the league avoid tanking for more teams, I don't buy it. Charlotte wasn't tanking. Charlotte's stale. Charlotte was trying. If they had this kind of record and felt like they were in the mix, I mean, they, were, they should have been tanking last year and they were winning all these weird games. The Pacers weren't tanking. The Wizards, I don't think they're tanking. If there's a longer season and there's no play-in game, do you think they just shut it down with Westbrook and not knowing what Beal's future is? No chance. Celtics not taking. Chicago traded draft picks for Vucevic. So they weren't tanking either. And then on the other side, San Antonio doesn't tank. Memphis is not tanking. So if there were no play-in game, and look, they were still tied going into this thing today with Golden State. So if you say that the play-in game helped avoid tanking for this season, I would tell you the teams that tanked were going to tank no matter what you had. And the teams that went for it were still going to go for it based on who they were as a franchise and where they were in the standings, even if we had a normal season, um, even without the playing game. All fair points. I think it's hard to say when we don't have the extra 10 games because that's a significant amount of time post-All-Star break for teams to kind of look at it and go, hmm, what should we do? I think or, with the condensed no, schedule, hey, with, or they could go with ten extra games. Let's let's keep fighting for it. No, but I'm saying the condensed schedule just kept the records a little bit closer together. So I think sometimes it was harder to even know what to do. Like Toronto, who I think wanted to tank this whole season and couldn't really do it because they were pretty close. They're too like, good. I mean, yeah, look, before they, that COVID they, thing wiped them out, they were still okay. Yeah, and then I think the last week and a half or so, they they realized like, fuck it, let's go. Um, yeah, let's see next year. Because I think next year with the longer schedule, it's going to rope more teams into maybe not packing it in as early as sometimes we that's, see with these that's, 82 games. I'm in complete agreement with you on that one. I am talking about... But you're right. For this season, that's a fair point. For me, 
And you know how it is. This is all I did for the last 72 hours was watch this and read about it, except for some naps in between. Mm. And the coverage was constant, like, oh, my God, the play-in game, the play-in game. And you just go, well, all right, but without it, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that it doesn't positively impact the problem that is tanking. In the concept of it, I'd imagine, yeah, with five or ten years of this, you're right. But for this season to say, like, this weekend is only this way because of the playing game, I thought was a little, little bit of missing the point. There's a weightiness, though, to the way they set up the playing, where if you're the Lakers, and now you have to go against Curry, not a picnic. You have a better team, you have more talent, but you also haven't played together at all. Let's say you lose that one. Now it's like, all right, we have a do or die game to make the playoffs. That's pretty cool versus they would just be in as the seventh seed under normal circumstances. That's going to be cool. You I like me. it. No, you got me. You got me well, on that one. So I, I can some, see that. Right. If you want to go back. So they did this in the 70s and early 80s. Don't ask why, but I was looking through Kareem's career the other day. And uh, I do a bad job with Kareem. Because I never saw any of the peak stuff, and I can only go back and, and read about it. I mean, obviously, I can go back and watch YouTube, but I didn't live. I lived with old Kareem, so I was I was too dismissive of his standing against the other greats because he's never brought up in any of the top five stuff, really. Well, he sh he should be because he's Is one he? of the. Who's oh. your five, by the way? Um, Jordan, Russell, or LeBron? LeBron or Russell? Kareem. Oh, okay, so he's four. Oh, he's easily four. Dave you Cowan's can... five. <laughs> Dave Cowan's is really good. Wasn't um, <laughs> <laughs> even trying. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you know. But I was looking through because <laughs> I was trying to figure out why Gus Williams. Because now everybody's making the Hall of Fame, right? Like Ben Wallace made it today. Everybody's just going to get in now. Hey, by the to... way, thank you. Like I love Ben Wallace. I remember watching him with Orlando, going like, you know who I kind of like is Ben Wallace. I'm like, there's something to this guy. And then it's like, oh, he's a Hall of Famer. Like when I saw that, I went, well, just everyone's getting in now. Gus, everybody Williams, gets in. Everybody Gus gets Williams in. is not in. So I was looking, I was looking at Gus Williams. I was looking at Seattle in 77, 78, 79 and 80, where Seattle makes the finals two years in a row. And then they make the conference finals three straight years. Right. As, as good as anything the Pistons did. And Gus Williams was awesome. And he was the best player at a team that won the title. He was a point guard who, you know, I was probably the best offensive point guard in the league in the late seventies. And they have this year. So Kareem gets traded to the Lakers, 75, 76. They don't make the playoffs. They finish 40 and 42, but they have this stupid division rule yeah. where the teams from the other division, you needed like the four teams in each division. They don't make it. There's a team that... Two teams make it that one team had won seven games less than them and they made it. So anyway, they would have caused a riot if we had the internet now. So then the next year, um, they make it, they make round two. But then in 78, they play Seattle in a best two of three. This is when they started doing these best two of threes. And some really good players, really good teams lost these best two of threes, including the 1978 LA Lakers who lose to Seattle. Seattle had done jack shit at that point. Here's who's on the Lakers team. They had Adrian Dantley, Jamal Wilkes, Lou Hudson, Charlie Scott, Norm Nixon, and Kareem in his prime. And Break they lose, they lose, uh, they lose two to one to Seattle and Seattle moves on. But this would happen year after year where you'd have like 
there was that one year the 81 Lakers lost to Houston. Remember that one? Moses beat the Lakers. They knocked the defending champion Lakers out. So there's like five of those from that era where we kind of don't factor that into the playoff picture. It's just like, yeah, you could just lose two games. All of a sudden you're going home. I do think the plan is going to have that at some point with somebody. I don't know if it'll be this year. There's going to be a year where like a team like the Lakers, that's clearly good, but had some injuries. The record was low and it's like, oh, they'll, they'll get through the play-in thing. And then, and then all of a sudden they're going to be out of the playoffs and we're going to be like, what the fuck just happened? Cause that was Kareem <laughs> in 1978. That was magic and Kareem in 1981. They lost to a 40 and 42 Rockets team in the best two or three. And people were like, what the fuck just happened? The Lakers were, were the favorites in the West. They're out. We've played three playoff games. So anyway, yeah, we that, all look the same thing happens in the NCAA tournament. Like we love Cinderella's until they're in your final four. And you're like, wait, like I, I can't watch UNC Kentucky. Like what happened here? Uh, whenever you bring up that Sonics team, because I remember when the heat militia at ESPN, heat culture um, was strong. And I was like, look, mm. that that team, <laughs> I was like, the 06 Miami Heat title team is the worst team to win a title in my lifetime. And people oh. were like and up in arms because you're in the moment and you're going, oh, you're just a hater or whatever. And I'm like, no, like, let's go through it. Let's go through all those teams. Whether it's the Sixers, you know, when I first was basketball conscious, 82, 83 Sixers, and yeah. then Celtics, Lakers, Pistons, um, Bulls, Houston. I mean, look, I don't need to go through everything. Everybody can fill in the rest of it. But I was like, that team's the worst team. Like somebody has to be the worst team of a 30 year run to win an NBA title. And then the next year they got swept in the first round by the Chicago Bulls. All right. And I felt like, yeah, see, I'm t- that's what I'm telling you. Now, that was a shortened season, and it looked like those guys weren't super locked in after winning it, but I used to always say it's probably the worst team to win. Is that the worst team to win a title since the 78-79 Supersonics, or am I dismissing that Sonics team? Sonics team was good. Really good back. Is there a worse, is there a worse one then other than Miami that I'm not thinking of? Um, I think the 94 Rockets even though Hakeem was great, but that's like, it's just Hakeem and some role players. And I know they I just really can't do almost, it to Hakeem. No, I know. But it, they, I, I think why, why Seattle throws people off the sinks because they didn't have like a Pantheon guy. Right. 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 But, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I, I agree with you on the Oh six seed. I also think the Oh three Spurs, same thing. They had a Pantheon player and Duncan, but other than that, it's like Steven Jackson was the second best guy in the team. Manu and Tony were not even close to any anything where they would end up being. A That's few a years good later. sneaky one that would never Robinson, be brought up. Robinson was like in a back brace, so th- those would be uh, mine. But um, with the Seattle one though, they they uh, they beat the Lakers, they beat the Blazers, who didn't Bill Walton. Then they have this awesome series against David Thompson in Denver, and they beat they beat them in the seventy eight. They could have Dr. J against David Thompson. And instead, it ends up being Washington, Seattle, and everybody's just super bummed out because it was like these are, are the two most exciting players in the league are about to play each other in the finals. And then it doesn't happen. But as I was researching this, you're going to like this. Um, Marvin Webster on Seattle, the center they had, the human eraser, in the playoffs, he, he uh, in the playoffs, he averaged... 16 points, 13 rebounds, 2.6 blocks and went and took out Kareem to basically went toe to toe with everybody and was like, this is the next guy. 
Who signs him with a massive free agent contract over the summer and he disappears? The New York Knicks. The Knicks are like, here's our guy. This is our savior, the human eraser. And he immediately gets knee tendonitis and falls off a cliff. So, yeah, he's from uh, he's from Maryland. I'm looking him up now because I always immediately am like, all right, the human eraser, also Marvin the Magnificent. There's nothing that gets me more excited than nicknames no one's ever heard of. But Marvin Webster, I wouldn't have known. The human eraser was a real nickname. So yeah, That's they had Dennis... One. They had Dennis Johnson, they had Gus Williams, they have Jack Sigma. Um, DJ and Sigma are both in the Hall of Fame. And my point is, Gus Williams should be the Wallace thing. I mean, come on. I don't know what we're doing. I, I, I really don't. And I really like Ben Wallace. I actually thought he was the best. If you had a playoffs MVP in 2004, he wins. But, you know, the case for him would be he's on that one team, defensive player of the year. He was the worst free throw shooter of all time, I think. I actually think he's the number one worst free throw shooter we've ever had. When you say he's an offensive liability, like he he was one of the most detrimental offensive players, except for offensive rebounds that you could have on the court. And his run was like basically six years. So if he makes it, then to me, that opens the door up for a whole bunch of people now. I think the and hall by the way, is too easy to get into. To ben look, Wallace. look, I love Ben Wallace too. I Loved was shocked. Him. I was shocked because I'm like, I just wish, this is my belief, I just wish it were more difficult to get into. That's it. I just think Hall of Fames across the board in all sports should be more difficult. I think we should be looking at listed names and being like, oh, this guy isn't in. And instead of being like, ah, you know, that one's borderline. So, you know, if it's borderline, then it's a no. I think it should be really, really difficult. And, you know, we've been on this topic a few times before, but more people are going to listen to this and disagree with us too. I know exactly what's going to happen. Well, because like he was a I, recent player. Like when the Kyle Lowry stuff happened, I, Kyle Lowry's getting into the Hall of Fame. 100%. But I would think if you, and by the way, when Kyle Lowry's stats are done and all of it, like he's definitely getting in. But I think whatever imaginary level of the Hall of Fame I have in my head, I think it should be something where you were clearly for a long time one of the great players of your generation and not somebody who just won and was really, I'm not even talking about Lowry now at this point. Like Bosch, you knew would be in immediately. I mean, I know I sound nuts on that one, but, I, you know, I'm just going to lose. I'm going to lose everybody on this. I just think the Hall of Fame should be hard. No, hard we to just have di- we have different standards. It's like I actually you and I you, or no, no, I think you and I have different standards. And I think some people Hall of Fame like I actually thought C-Web belonged because for like a five year span, he was one of the best five to 10 players in the league every single year. He was the best guy on a team that almost won the title. And to me, like, you have to be at that level. That's why with Gus Williams, he was the best player in the title team. He was first team All-NBA in 82. He was second team All-NBA in 1980 and was the focal point of a team that made the finals twice and conference finals once. Like, it been, my point is, if Ben Wallace gets in, then Gus Williams, not, now you're letting in Gus Williams and everybody that's at what that happens. level, and that's you, what's going to happen. And by right. the way, Robert Horry is going to get in too, which I'm fine with because... You know, I thought he was the greatest role player of his generation. Michael Cooper should get in. Yeah, but you Every, just answered the everybody's question. Everybody's going to get in. They're, they're all going to get in. I don't think Ori should be in. I mean, I, I'm blown away if by we're letting, stuff. If we're letting 14 people in per class, all those guys are going to get in. They're all going to get in. They're Danny all going to get in. Danny Ainge is going to get in. I mean, that's insane. Oh. Ainge is a player. Now, you can make the argument when you have the executive side of it that he's going to get in. He won a ring and, you know, he's going to be with the Celtics for, you know, we're almost two decades. So that one, but as a player, Ainge getting in, I mean, that's when you start, right. that's when I, you I start to lose joking. me. Right. Yeah, but I was I, like, that's where I'm just going. Like, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. Um, 
Bobby I, Jones got in, and that was another one who was he was the best defensive forward of his era. I thought he was great. I was really surprised that he got in. I never watched him and thought this is I love Bobby Jones. He was like always you know, his career is a little different. So I caught him towards the end. Still loved him, but you were never going like, oh my God, we get like Bobby Jones. You know, this is this is the guy. This team is built around Bobby Jones. And so when I look at like Ben Wallace, the scoring part of it doesn't matter. I was arguing with a friend about this, right? Because he was like, oh, how because he knew he was like Ben Wallace, you know, dot, dot, dot. I went, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I give up. I give up. And he said, why do you think it's like if you argue against Ben Wallace and look at the offensive numbers, I mean, he never even averaged double figures at any season in his entire career, I don't believe. The rebounding numbers are there. Yeah. We know how great he was defensively. He came at me with this, and he said, if you're cool with a defensive player getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, why do you have a problem with Ben Wallace getting into the Hall of Fame? And I think he thought he got me, and I was like, because he also has to play on fucking offense. Right. Yeah. It's like, what? Did you think you won with that? Well, like, defensive players in the NFL only play defense. I think he also had really good timing just for when he peaked the way basketball was being played back then. It was really slow. It was physical. Um, you had these games that were like 82 to 80 and 79 to 75, stuff like that. And they also had four talented offensive players in their team. So they could, you know, they didn't really necessarily need anything from him. I, I really like Ben Wallace. I feel bad downing anybody who makes the Hall of Fame because... You know, it's it's such a great honor. It's such a great right, achievement. Right. I and just two, two I guys on a podcast are dumping on you. I don't know. Yeah, you know but, but what have you been doing? We've been doing this for decades. So, but I just this is why I wrote a book, blowing up the Hall of Fame and starting over because I didn't. There's so many people in the Hall of Fame. Even when I wrote the book in '09, that I'm like, wow, Casey Jones, who was an awesome Celtics, but he was not a Hall of Famer. Not as a he player. Was, he was I mean, basically he made it as a player. He's in. What year did he get in? He got in pretty pretty soon after he after he finished, like within ten years, and he was basically like Ben Wallace as a guard, right? He was an incredible defensive player, and you know, not a good offensive player. Anyway, he was. Uh, see, here's the deal, though. He's inducted in '89. So when Casey Jones was inducted, I thought there was kind of like a nod to the fact that you were there. No, for player those coach are separate stuff. So. Yeah, I know, but don't you think that there's some part of that that permeates into the decision that hey this is another part of it i mean look i don't know i don't know what happens there well the one what that year, what year are you getting in the, stop the one that I'm was indefensible was cotton, cotton fitzsimmons got in and never coached in a finals game coached in one conference finals and he, the reason he got in was was jerry colangelo runs the hall of fame and that's his guy if you keep talking Suns like coach. this your your year is going to keep getting pushed back i don't I honestly don't care. Um, Jim Gray Come got on. in. Jim, Jim Gray, Gray got, got the in? Kirk Gowdy thing. I, I, I guess his two contributions were the artest melee and the decision. What I don't know what about. Else did Jim I don't know Gray enough do about the for media NBA stuff. media. I, I was I, happy to see Wilbon and Wilbon does Breen to, to get me in. Is a Hall of Famer. So I couldn't believe for Breen. Right. I was sometimes in the media ones. I'll be like, wait, that guy wasn't in yet. I mean, yeah. baseball. It's like, hey, are you almost dead? You're in. Can we do a special Hall of Famer podcast? Because I think we, it should almost be a game show where I'd be like, do you think this person's in? And you'd be like, no. And I'd be like, yeah, got it in 1988. It would suck because I'd be the only guest because you already know because you already went <laughs> through it all. So I would just keep saying no and I would score a zero out of it. I'm just uh, telling you, if Ben Wallace is in, Gus Williams has to be in. 
That's that's where we're I at. defer and, to you. I defer to you way, on that one. Ben Wallace getting in before Rashid Wallace? Rashid Wallace. Who is a better player at their peak? Are you wait, I'm just take a break. This episode is brought to you by Peloton. Spring, the best time of the year to dial your fitness routine up a notch. You know it's gonna happen. It's gonna get warm. You're gonna start wearing shorts. You're gonna start wearing bathing suits. Just you're not going to be able to cover up behind those big coats anymore. Also, it's nice outside. Get outside, do stuff. Or if you don't have time to get outside, I got Peloton for you. Whether you have five or 60 minutes, Peloton's workouts were made to challenge you. Classes like boot camps, full body strength, boxing, marathon training are created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in and you won't feel bad about not being outside. Peloton's expert coaches, challenging classes, and nonstop vibes will keep you coming back for more. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, coming back. This this is off the rails as we knew it probably would be. Um, most likely upset. Let's let's just go chalk. Let's say let's say Utah, Golden State, Lakers, Phoenix, Dallas, Clippers, Denver, Portland. Who's in the best spot to uh, to pull off an actual upset? And by the way, the Lakers will be favored, I think, in the Phoenix series. So Phoenix would be the upset pick, in, in my opinion. I hate this for Phoenix so much because I don't think it's just the Lakers thing that everyone was going to feel like getting them in the first round. But from a basketball matchup standpoint, and we got a real taste of it in that game with Anthony Davis not that long ago, and the size with Drummond and when they want to go big with LeBron and even bring in Montrez, they just don't have any size. I mean, I give Aiton credit. He fights like crazy, but it's it's the kid from Maryland, Smith, or Sharich as a small ball five. It's tough. I'm bummed out because I wanted to pick Phoenix Philly today. That's not happening. <laughs> Your guy, Chris Paul... It's going to be the worst. It's going it to be the be worst. Round one. Because it'll be, I'm going to do the mellow thing maybe this week. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I have to just get this out. When people dump on mellow from a playoff failure thing, I'm like, okay, fine, but go through every year. And almost every time he lost, he lost to a better team. Chris Paul's going to lose in the first round, and people are going to be like, Chris Paul, <laughs> he's go. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. How close are LeBron and Chris Paul? Best friends, friends? Do you think they talk celebrity more than friends? I, do they talk more than I talk to House? No. So I was going to say, if, if LeBron was a good friend, he would throw the playing game, get the eight spot, so he play Utah. Utah. Yeah, take Utah out, do it that way. But I don't think, and then get the close. Clippers in the second round and be like, see. I don't like how the West worked out. I'm bummed out. I like the way you the are. East worked out. No, I'm bummed out because the Lakers are going to beat Phoenix. Um, we're going to talk ourselves into Utah beating, 
getting beaten by Golden State and Curry and the whole thing. And then we're going to actually watch the series. Like, I'm not. Oh, my God. You and I won't. But the normal people are going to be like, oh, my God, watch Golden State. We believe 2.0. I was making jokes about that on Twitter. I would love to see it happen. I just don't think they have the firepower against that Utah team. It would, it would be, if they beat Utah, this Curry season would start to take on, like, really all-time single season somebody throwing a random team on their back uh, scale. Just just so we have it here, here are the minutes. Because I know people are busy. Some of those games for the East Coasters is late. But if it ends up being Utah and Golden State in that first round, there's going to be the, the playoff guy who jumps in and they're going to have a whole new appreciation for Steph Curry because they're going to be like, wait, are you serious? What the hell's going on here? Like Toscano Anderson, who I actually love, energy guy, he's he's fifth in minutes right now for this team. Bazemore's playing 20 minutes a game. Jordan Poole's playing 20. I like him. Damian, Damian Lee's playing 19. Kevon Looney's. I mean, they've even missed some of these guys for long stretches. I mean, their their top three guys are Curry, Wiggins, and Draymond. And yeah. for the Wiggins part of it that that's nicer in its moments, he's still Andrew Wiggins. And in a playoff game, like, yeah, I'll probably have... Look, you can get 20. You get enough shots, you get enough minutes, you're going to get 20. He averaged 19 a game this season, and he actually you know, shot it. Uh, he shot it pretty well for him this year, too. So He outplayed Russell, and I think he... I think he certainly was above what they could have possibly hoped for and expected from that trade. At the same time, it should be a concern when you've been in the league for seven years now. And every time you do something good or an important moment of the game, your teammates react like you're the team manager who came off the bench and got to shoot your first three and made it. That's how they react every time he does something good. It's bizarre. It's like this guy was the number one pick of the draft. He's not like the mascot, but that's they they're so so determined to to just pump him up, support him. They they know they need him. But it, again, as you said, he's unfortunately Andrew Wiggins. It's also just a great reminder in the lessons of of trying to evaluate players and drafting them in any sport. Because when you watched Wiggins, you went, his athleticism, his length. Remember I thought he was going to be Pippen. I think I, I wrote that once. I, th- I wrote that. <laughs> I think he had Pippen potential as a defensive perimeter guy. But you just don't know. Like, unless you're around him all the time and Bill Self loves you and trusts you and goes, hey, he's just not wired that way, which is the answer to the Andrew Wiggins problem. Because there are still moves that he'll make in a game. He's going to make one in the Lakers game where he's going to dribble hard, like right into the paint. He's going to get an angle on you and he's going to spin all the way around and finish in like a 270. And you're going to go, oh, my God. Whereas if you saw that at Kansas, all you're thinking of is all the great things because you're not around him enough. You haven't seen him enough. You're just going to think, hey, he's going to get better and better. He's going to work hard. Oh, he's a great kid. He's Canadian. Canadians get along with everybody. The The floor for Wiggins was like 15 a game, shot will get better, but he's always going to play defense. And that was the thing is that Wiggins never even played any defense with Minnesota. And the shot, every time he'd have like a month where it looked like he was going to shoot it better, then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, he's starting to figure out. He's starting to figure out. This is not about physical talent. It's not about being a good guy or a bad guy. It's not about any of those things because it's certainly not a system. It is all about how you are wired, and that's why we will always fail with drafting players. There's an extra work ethic thing. You know, I think by the time you're 15 or 16 and you're playing at a certain level in high school, club, what AAU, whatever, everybody's talented after a certain point, Right. I say it like watching my daughter and the teams they play. Like, everybody's good. 
there's just hits a point where it's just like, yeah, everybody's talented. All right. So what's the next level? It's the kids that are like psychotic about just trying to get better and better and better. You know, and that's why, that's why I never gave up RJ Barrett stock. Cause I just think he's wired like that. I think he's one of those dudes that's just every summer is really going to give a shit and work on his game. That's why Randall became the guy he became over the last couple of years because he put in the fucking work. And with Wiggins, he has all the gifts. But at some point, if you're missing that last tiny piece, it's you can be as talented as you want. That yeah, last I'm just, piece is always going to matter. I'm guilty of it too, but that's why I can be like more dismissive than other people. Because like when you're in the league four or five years, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Like That's probably who you're going to be. You know, the Randall thing, I don't feel like it's as huge of a step for him as maybe other, most people probably do. Yes, he's far better this year, but he also has a team that's basically built around him. The shooting got better. The passing, I think, was always there, but now he has the ball all the time too. So when people have asked me like, oh my God, did you ever expect this of Randall? I'm like, okay, this is amazing. And we probably thought his ceiling was lower based on what we'd seen, but I always thought he was like a really talented guy. Yeah. Um, the difference is he's a really talented guy in a team that's a four seed, which... You know, in the past, it felt like, hey, he's one of those super talented guys on the team, maybe not even making the playoffs. He's a classic, wow, did he go to the wrong team and have the worst possible scenario? It was it was almost like the lottery version of Gordon Hayward breaking his ankle, you know, a quarter and a half into his Celtic experience. Randall goes to Lakers, he breaks his leg in the first game. Then the next season, it's the Kobe farewell tour. And then the next season they're rebuilding and it's like three years just down the drain in the worst possible situation you could be in if you're him. Then he goes to New Orleans. He thinks he's playing with Davis. And, you know, within half a season, Davis is trying to get out of there. And uh, I don't know. I think if you play his career 10 times, this is probably one of the worst versions of it. All right. Can we do all NBA? So I'm doing... Jokic, Giannis, Luca, Curry. I'm making Luca forward. And then go slower. Jokic, Giannis, Luca, Curry. And I'm putting Dame as uh as my second first team guard. Okay. Dame was 29, 4, and 8. Um by the way, Dame's last six, even before this year, he had one first team, three second teams, two third teams. He's either going to be first or second this year. This is pretty impressive. Seven straight years of you're at least one of the top 15 guys, but this will be five out of the last seven when he was. I know for top, a guy that top 10 always, guy, he always feels like he's being looked over and you know, like, you know what? To me, Dame's always kind of been exactly where he was supposed to be. Like everybody that knows, knows how awesome he is, but you know what? Like you weren't better than Curry. So you, two you, things with that. One is, um, I made Luca forward just because it made the list easier. I wanted the list to look good. I, I refused to put Embiid as a forward. Yeah, we've been over first this. First time on We went I'm not going to argue with you anymore. Second team, Embiid, Kawhi, Randall, Jimmy Butler at guard, Chris Paul. So for Chris, I think Chris is going to end up second team. That will give him four first teams, five second teams, one third team. Pretty impressive. Nine times in his career is one of the 10 best guys in the league. Um, Randall, I think, is guaranteed has to be second team. I know some people who are putting him third team. For LeBron? Yeah, I Jackie said this, and I know one other person who I don't want to say. 
Um, we're basically like, if I'm voting LeBron to be all NBA, I'm not putting him on third team. He has to be second team. But to me, it's like, you can't put him ahead of Randall. And so now it comes down to LeBron versus Kawhi. And they basically have the same stats. LeBron's 25, eight and eight. Kawhi was 25, seven and five. Shooting percentages are pretty similar. Kawhi's a better free throw shooter. Kawhi's a much better defensive player at this point of their careers. Um, sure about that? Yeah. You don't, you don't agree with that? I think Kawhi floats a lot now. Yeah, but I'm, if who's just a better defensive player? It's Kawhi. When they want to be? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I bet you the metrics, because I remember looking at those at some point this year with LeBron. I was like, oh my God, these are off the charts. Uh, I think I test, I'm with you on what their ceiling is. I just think there's also another part of Kawhi where he has... Well, let's has talk this out, because I haven't officially moments. decided on this yet. So Kawhi played 52 games. LeBron played 45. That's what I figured was the separator for you. That's what I thought you were going with. Because I'm with you. I don't think you do this to Randall where you put LeBron because he's LeBron's second team because you can't put him third. I think that's kind of weird. Like, what's the whole fucking point of Randall doing what he just did then if you're going to be because of LeBron's rep? To that, that's, that's, that's bullshit, by the way. That's total bullshit. And you shouldn't do it that way. I can't put LeBron third, so I'm going to fuck over Randall because he's LeBron. I'm not, that's, no, that's I'm not fucking over I'm Randall. I'm not saying you're doing it. Yeah. But whoever's doing that to take off well were they doing it because like i, I don't know the tie break, all right well the tiebreaker is so. Kawhi playing more games i keep i keep interrupting but i just got passionate Kawhi missed 20 games but didn't really have an injury it was all like load management stuff they were 36 and 16 when he played the lakers were 30 and 15 when lebron played to me it's close and Kawhi just played more games and lebron basically missed the last six seven weeks of the season um so I'm putting LeBron in the third team. My third team, Gobert, Paul George, LeBron, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving. All here's right, the so case for, here's, here's Kyrie. Um, the Nets were one of the four best teams in the league. I, I just felt weird having three All-NBA teams with no Nets when they're the favorites to win the title. Kyrie played 53 games. He was 27-5-6. and six, And he was 50-40-90. He's only the ninth guy ever to be a 50-40-90 guy. He finished as 50-40-92. They were 35-18 uh, and 18 when he played. And, you know, if Kawhi's going to make it, then Kyrie has to make it because they basically played the same games and Kyrie actually had better stats. So, um... I put him in over Harden. The Harden-Houston thing, I just don't think you could be rewarded for that. I couldn't do it. And Harden didn't play enough games either. The, the only what about other Booker? One, couldn't get there with Booker. If you go Booker side-by-side side with Kyrie, you kind of can't unless you wanted to say, hey, I want to give the best scorer on the two seed the deal considering he played 67 games and Kyrie played 53. Um, Kyrie's stats are incredible this year. And they're incredible. They're a good team. And, so I, I'm not going to argue against it. And with all the, the flux they had with Harden and Durant being out, he was kind of the one semi-constant, even though he disappeared twice. Um, Paul George, I really did look at trying to figure out, do I have to put him on a third team all NBA? And he was 23, seven and five, 47, 41, 87 shooting splits. They were 38 and 16 when he played. And I was trying to think, like, 
a Zion spot there, but just over the course, I just tried to stay true to what my all NBA principles are. And Zion's team didn't make the playoffs. Um, didn't even finish over 500. And, uh, I just couldn't get there with that one. The only other one was Tatum and, uh, Tatum. If I think the COVID thing, I think if he doesn't get COVID, I actually think he would have nudged Paul George out of that spot, but hit the stats. What do you mean? Missed games or his stats? Cause his stats after COVID were insane. Well, but I mean, he, he missed eight games. And then the first couple, when he came back, he was having issues breathing and stuff, but like really since the all-star break, he's been lights out. Um, but I think. He's the best player in a Celtics team that just, you know, <laughs> heroically underachieved. So I just felt weird about putting him in the NBA. Big ramifications for the Celtics for Tatum not making it. I mean, it's like a 30, 35 million contract swing. Same thing for for uh, Mitchell, who I don't think is going to make it either. And uh, Booker, Booker will probably, both Booker and Mitchell will probably make it at some point. But those, all three of those have big All-NBA implications anything uh anyone i'm missing i would vote zion over paul george i would go okay. you know what it's third team he was one of the three most exciting players to watch all year his numbers are better across the board than george's except for you know the outside shooting part of it um his wait a minute his rebounds are actually close and the assists. he's he's probably gonna yeah he's got a he's got it because paul george's assist numbers here were better um I, I would give it to Zion. I know the team wasn't as good, I, he, but he played. I mean, honestly, Zion was going to play the entire season, and George missed time again. So I would try to find another guy that played like a full season and was a huge part of this and I thought was really good in a difficult situation. Like, I don't feel like that team was losing games because of Zion. I mean, if anything, he was the only one keeping them afloat there. So I would just kind of like when I think back on the season, like who were the most impressive people I watched? Zion's one of the 10 most impressive players, if not five most impressive players I watched all season long. So to think that he wasn't one of the 15 best this year, I would, I would have him there. Um, well, in the words yeah. of uh, the immortal Ryan Rossillo, we were going to have some snubs this year. It's just yeah. the way it goes. Harden. Yeah, that's, that's what I don't like about the snub thing is you go, hey, some years, this is just what it's going to be. But all the TV shows are going to freak out. Like Mitchell's not going to be on it. Booker's not going to be on it. And I already know the arguments. One seed in the West, Mitchell leading scorer is not there. You know, him not playing towards the end of the year cost him that. The Kyrie one, I didn't know if you'd come around on that, but it was the more you looked to. at it, you just go, you can't leave him off. You can't leave him off 13. I I try to have zero bias, and it's just weird to not have a net. Um, Do you think, he, oh, by the way, you think there's not going to be more anti-Kyrie stuff, though? Like, you think he was going to make it, though? I actually think he's going to make it. I do. The only other one that is like a mild semi-argument, but I I think it's Gobert is just if you wanted to do Bam Adebayo for the Gobert spot, which I I think is pretty ludicrous. The advanced metrics with Gobert. Well, they're always, Gobert is like in another planet. His his net rating is 15.3 for, for uh, I mean, that's just like, that's like in the stratosphere. He shot 67%. Um. He's really good. Eye test wise, like I'm fine with it, but it's too bad for Bam. And I know, I know Bam's going to get some votes because I think some people are going to put Jokic and Embiid together on the first team. I would. You would? Yeah. If you can do the Doncic thing, well, you know, we've already done this three times. I'm not, I don't want to yeah. do this argument okay. again. But do you think Westbrook has a chance here? Third team? No. All right. No. But he made it last year. 
playing well for two months. Now, the field is not the same because we have more people fighting for these spots, but uh, I think I wouldn't be so dismissive if I were you. Okay. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. You mentioned the bonus thing. Everyone hates us in the media. Why does the media have the vote? I get why the NBA did it. What's the best? You can have the teams voting for it. What's the best way to try to reward these guys or you just get rid of it? Do you get rid of the raises for all NBA off of, off of these deals and these extensions? Because they basically was like a, a way to pay that much more to keep this caliber of a player. And the unintended consequence of the cap spike is that it's so much money that players clearly don't care to sacrifice that extra money. But everybody hates that the media has anything to do with this. So have you talked about this with other voters that clearly... I think there's more people that vote on it that are bothered by it than look at it as some cool version of power. Yeah, I think it's a big responsibility, but and and it's a little weird that it's in the media's hands. I guess like I don't know what the solution would be other than to have a fourth team NBA to just add a fourth one, and you could do it that way. I just think that would be ridiculous. Um, I think they've gotten better at who gets votes, but I'm still surprised by who doesn't have votes. And in some cases, who does? Like, you look at the list and it's pretty random, especially when they're giving it to people who um, are traveling with teams, you know? And are There's less of that, though. There's, there's way less, less of it. that. It used to be pretty tough because you were like, how can the home broadcast know what the hell is going on? Because they're not going gone to. all the time. And I mean, unless you're really locked in. I, whenever I look at the list of votes, I'll never have one. But I, I'll look at it and go. Yeah, but you should have one. Yeah, I know I should. I I know how serious I take it. I know I doubt I wouldn't be last on the list of people that watch games there, but there's usually like five or 10 where I'm like, this is a joke. Like this person shouldn't have it. If it's this important, this person shouldn't have the vote. And I can sound bitter. It's not being bitter. It's that, you know, we shouldn't have screw up certain years where you're like, this person has no clue what's going on. And they hold a, you know, one one hundredth of a vote on something that's really, really important. Well, they, they should. And I think they do do this sometimes pull votes when somebody's clearly not paying attention perfectly. But, you know, the one thing I don't like and it's kind of a bummer is the is the group consensus stuff that we have now where you can just go on the internet and read five articles or listen to two podcasts and then basically shape your ballot that way. We had a lot more trial and error with these ballots back in the day where you would just have people like, here's my first team. It's Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, you know, and it would just be completely out of whack because they had nobody to kind of base off what everybody else was doing. Now it feels like everybody kind of knows what everybody else is doing and nobody wants to be crucified on Twitter because they did something really dumb. Another thing though, is you had said, maybe there should be a fourth team. The problem with that now is that's five new guys that qualify for a massive bump and be like, well, you know, we didn't want to pay Terry Rozier 210 million, but he made fourth team. <laughs> What was the guy? Who was the guy who didn't pick Pedro? Uh, it was two guys. It was George King. Lavelle uh, Neal. And Lavelle Neal was out of Minnesota. I remember that like it's my kids' names. Um, they left him off the top 10 of the MVP. And King said he wouldn't do it because of pitchers. And the fucking guy had like Conan Wells in his top 10s on previous ones. So like this, yeah. for the kids listening right now, this is like before internet really got rolling. So you would see that two guys left Pedro off because Pedro was a dick to certain media members and they left him off. And then it was a New York part of it. And then George King said, I don't vote for pitchers. And then after digging, they found that he had voted for two Yankees in the past. 
and people went crazy. And that's why I've never forgotten it. And then it was Lavelle Neal was the other one. I forget what his argument was about it. Um, the all-timer, though, the all-timer is your man, uh, Freddie, voting for Iverson and not having Shaq. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. Because <laughs> he was a Philly guy, right? And he just said, fuck it, I'm voting for Iverson. And so Shaq didn't win a unanimous um, MVP, which then turned into some new way of of shitting on Iverson, or excuse me, shitting on Steph Curry because Curry became the first unanimous guy. And you were like, okay, so like this is this is ridiculous. Hold on. Um, Do you think Jokic should be the unanimous MVP? Well, if we're all sitting here for a month saying he should win it. He's not going to be unanimous. He's not. He's not. I mean, the unanimous thing is weird. Like, what am I going to sit here and say, we're in agreement that he's the MVP, but I hope he only gets like 70%. So that means I want 30% of the vote to get it wrong just to make it not look too dominant. Like, that seems kind of stupid. Do you think Curry is going to get a first place vote from any voter? Because I think he is. Yeah. 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 I think he 100% is going to get like 10 first place votes. Think about it this way. Imagine this scenario. You're a person and you walk into a room with two people and you explain the thing to these two people. There's a really good chance between those two people, they're going to be like, yeah, but I don't know that you really said it. And the other guy's going to look at him and be like, you didn't hear what he just said? And be like, well, that's not the way I took it. That's two people. Now expand the exercise to a season of basketball with a hundred people and you would have to walk in and explain the season to them. Of course, there's going to be votes there that don't make any sense. There's a, a decent Curry case that is not going to push her over the top, but just like what he did with the teammates he had is, you know, and even like over and over again, coming through in games like the one today, um, I could see a couple people talking themselves into it. Okay, All by right. the way, I just want to make sure I get the name right here. Yeah. Because it was, yeah, Fred Hickman. That's right. Because he was on CNN. Yeah. And he voted Iverson to be MVP 99-2000. So uh, Shaq called him Fred Idiot Hickman. Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So playoffs. Tuesday. Did you say they had the Charlotte-Indiana game as a 6.30 Eastern oh, time yeah. start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Planning Phenomenal. accordingly. Followed by Celtics Wizards, which, listen, I don't guarantee a lot on this podcast, but if you don't think that Celtics Wizards game will be a two-point game in the final minute, you're fooling yourself. It's the destiny of both of those teams. I The Wizards will be up three with 50 seconds left. Westbrook's going to throw it off somebody's face, and the Celtics are going to something, and it'll just, it's going to be... You'll run the gamut of emotions watching it, because that's how, that's how Washington rolls. It's just the way it goes. Bertans does kill the uh, Celtics. That's the thing that happens. Um, Beal always does well. Tatum and Beal have a whole mano a mano St. Louis thing, which is fun. That'll be a great game. And then Wednesday, I guess San Antonio Memphis would start early too. And then it goes right to Warriors Lakers, which I think, we, I think is going to be just an unbelievable night. We might have to go on locker room that night. Yeah, somebody just came into town. They were like, hey, can you go to dinner on Wednesday? And of course I say yes. And then 10 seconds later, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, that's the game. Like, I can't go to dinner. I can't go to dinner that night. Whenever I think of Bertans, I'm so amazed by his shoulders. Like, I, I thought you were going to say the 80 million contract. No, I, I, it would be amazing if you were like an X-Men and Charles Xavier. And you'd be like, what's, what's that guy's deal? Like, <laughs> he's, 
He's amazing in crowded hallways. He can turn, turn corners and barely get in anyone's way because of his shoulders. Hey, one last thing before we go. I just forgot. It's just a crucial point. Lakers beat Phoenix. They're in the 2-3. Yep. Playing. Yeah, no, I get it. Denver or Portland? Portland, who you have liked all season more than me. I'm but I'm I'm out. Are you out? Uh, are you so out that you think they can't beat Denver? I think like anyone could beat Denver. That's my whole point. Like, as much as I'm going, hey, this or that, I'm I'm at a loss. Like, I feel way better about the East picks than I do Me the too. West picks. Well, my point is we talked about how Philly had this just amazing clear road to the Eastern Finals now. You could argue this worked out pretty well for the Lakers. They get to avoid Utah. They get to avoid the Clippers. I would say those are the two toughest teams for them to play in the West. And they're, they don't have to play either of them. And basically, they're, they're going to be playing Denver or Portland and then Phoenix in the round before when, when Phoenix has nobody to handle Davis. I mean, that matchup's a disaster for Phoenix. I, f- I feel bad for Chris Paul. So anyway, I, it, it feels like it's Lakers-Utah, and yet I just can't see Utah actually making the... I, I just can't see that in my head. A conference finals, Lakers-Jazz. Now, game three, Lakers, Jazz. I just can't, I can't see it. And it makes me think something weird's going to happen. So maybe we will get Lakers, Clippers. I feel bad for Chris Paul. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop thinking about it. I want, the, I'm going to want them to win that series so bad. You think Chris Paul regrets that, like pulling his hamstring so they could have been closer to the three, seven pack. And then they could have had more malleability with just throwing games well, away sucks, like everybody else you're, did. You're right there. You're right there at the one seed with those guys. You know? If you know you know who Phoenix has to blame themselves because they had some some close games the last couple of weeks that they blew when they had yeah. a, they really had a legit chance to get the one seed and they blew it. Yep. And that was and that's that. Uh Rosillo, I mean, Mitchell didn't play the last few weeks and they still still couldn't catch him. Rosillo, you'll have a couple podcasts this week. Um, I'm going to be stuff. Tuesday and Thursday. And then uh, the big Goodfellas rewatchables goes up tomorrow. Tomorrow night in lieu of any basketball games. Two and a half Max, hour. Max Kellerman on Tuesday. Oh. I know. I really like his radio show. I don't agree with him all the time. But I, I just, I'm fired up because there's a bunch of stuff I've always wanted to ask him. We don't really know each other that well. You know, we weren't really, he was, they were in New York most of the time. And when they were in Bristol, we probably just looked at each other in the hallway and kept it moving. Cool. We forgot to mention Jalen having C-Web on countdown today. Yeah. I guess we can end on that. So, I mean, those guys didn't acknowledge, I mean, C-Web didn't acknowledge Jalen for years, like just wouldn't acknowledge him. And I remember Jalen and I did a podcast once when I was at Grantland about just about how fucked up it was because those guys grew up like grew up together. They were, you always hear like, that's my brother. Like those guys were brothers and it fell apart over the course of time. And I didn't think it was reparable. And, uh, I, and I think cause you know, Jalen's mother passed. I don't know the story. I haven't talked to Jalen, but maybe C-Web reached out to him after that. And, um, I was just shocked cause I just had countdown on 
this morning because I wanted to see the playoff matchup stuff. And all of a sudden, Jalen was talking to C-Web and I didn't think it was conceivable that it would ever happen. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, because you get older, man, and how tight they all were. Because Jalen, I remember when Jalen first started ESPN, I mean, he would get stuck with us on game nights some nights and he'd roll by. And then I started doing this segment with him where I would just be like, it was, I think he was the first I played you didn't segment we ever did where I would be like, all right, I didn't play. I'm going to give you some concept that us on the outside think of or some question. And then you're going to answer it like, hey, I played, you didn't. And then I'm going to set you straight on, on what's true or not about it. And it was immediate like Jalen was so good as a storyteller um, because he just let it fly in a way that other guys just weren't comfortable. Like Jalen was immediately comfortable in the role, letting it fly. And once he got polished, you know, look, he's had as good a run as an NBA analyst at the company as anyone could have. But whenever you got him talking about Weber, he was kind of, he would be respectful even though he didn't want to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. you could tell there was some real stuff. And he shared, I'm sure he shared way more with you because you guys are a lot closer than he and I ever were. But um, it's going to sound like I'm sticking up for him because I don't really know Weber at all. But it, it was kind of hard to not understand why Jalen was like, all right, whatever, dude. Like at that point, you know, where Jalen felt like, you know, everybody feels like they're right when they're in an argument with the other person. But um, I remember oh. we, we were at the finals. I think it was 2014 in Miami. Juwan was assistant on Miami. And we had our set in the stands. And Jalen went down to talk to Juwan, who was talking to Chris Weber. And I watched it happen. Jalen walked all the way down. Right when he got like five feet away from them, C-Web just turned around and he turned his back on them and kind of pretended like he was whatever. And then Jalen did his whole thing with Juwan and did like a minute and he left because we had to go back in the air. And uh, and then C-Web turned back around. Like, that's how bad it was. So they hashed it out. Did Jalen care? Yes. It bothered, he, even that bothered him after, it still had been bad for years, that moment there, the three of them together. Yeah, that, look, I mean, I don't, I don't want to. Jalen and I, I think we talked about it on a podcast, so I don't mind, I don't mind telling the story. But like, you know, I, I think, and granted, C Web probably had stuff that he thought there were reasons it happened, but yeah, of course, I think Jalen was really hurt by it, and I think the other guys from, from the Fab Five, same thing. Like, you know, the fact that for whatever reason those guys drifted apart, and there's different theories on it. My theory was, I don't know if I'm right, but my theory was always like that timeout game was so painful to see web that he, he kind of naturally pull away. You have this traumatic moment in your life. You kind of pull away from everybody who's involved with it a little bit. Maybe that, and obviously they had the, the, uh, the legality issues. Yeah. I think the booster thing had a lot to do with stuff. it because didn't they feel like Weber kind of went his own way on it and yeah. the rest of the guys were like, you know, how could you do that? I, I mean, I can't. <laughs> You know, I was funny because I was watching the UVM lacrosse game today against Maryland. Terp smoked him. Mm. But I was texting all the guys from the UVM team. And every one of them was watching it, telling me like exactly what they were doing, what the setup was. And for guys that went to Vermont, like we're not from this school that has these programs where we just know like, hey, every year, a couple different seasonal sports are going to be competing for something. So just making the tournament for Vermont lacrosse is a big deal. And cat lax, as those call it. 
And to see these guys, you know, almost 25 years after they played together, graduated, being so excited about it. And that's a stupid lacrosse <laughs> team that nobody cares about. And you're part of the Fab Five and the impact that you had. Because, I mean, the idea that freshmen were going to get together and not only, and we want to talk about like, this country has always had a really hard time with young athletes, like having any kind of bravado. You know, yeah. there's obviously some race element to it too, but it was who do these guys think they are? And not only were they brash, but they were that good. And, you know, we can get into the not winning a title and all that kind of stuff. But can you imagine being one of those five guys for three decades now and part of this this historic moment in in an athletic timeline and then having it that divided? for this long, like it would suck. And the reason I bring up the lacrosse thing is only because I was seeing all of my friends and roommates, how excited they were about this moment that most people listening to this didn't even know happened. And here's this Fab Five group that all of us knew about and watched religiously. And even if you didn't like it, you were watching it, right? If you were rooting against them because of your own rooting interest in college hoops, and then to follow all their careers where they all, you know, for the most part, the best three guys were really successful in all their different areas. Um, it was just weird. It's just weird to think of, of being that close to somebody through the high school ranks and then to go to school together and accomplish what you accomplish and then be like, all right, as adults, we're never going to be cool with each other. It's weird. Well, that that's why I always thought, and whenever Jalen and I talked about it, that that's why I always thought it was going to work out. They had too much history. And at some point, the history wins out, especially as you get older and life changes and things happen to you and you start to kind of look at it and you go, what are we doing? So hopefully they got to that. I was I was really delighted because, you know, obviously I have a long history with Jalen and this was a really important thing to him that he had this relationship that, you know, had kind of gone sideways. So it gives me hope. It gives me hope for people out there for fractured relationships. We got to go because my battery is about to run out. Uh, Rosillo, great to see you as always. And uh, I'll see you next Sunday night. We'll be doing this every Sunday from now on. <laughs>